morning, church. Hope you're doing good this morning. You know, our family doesn't watch a lot of YouTube. I don't know if any of you guys do. I know some people are on there a lot. I know probably our kids do. But we as a family, we don't watch a lot of YouTube. But sometimes we'll get on there to watch like a movie trailer or some video that someone told us about. And the other day, YouTube got us. Because they start another video like right after the video that you're watching to kind of suck you in. And they, they kind of did that with us. And they showed us a fail video. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those, right? But it's like where you're at the job site and someone with the forklift knocks over a whole crate of bottles and they just fall to the ground and shatter. And now we're hooked because the past few weeks, like we've been taking a little bit and um, sometimes in the evenings we'll watch like a seven minute kind of all of these fails. I don't know what that says about me as a person that I'm entertained by that, but Maybe it makes me feel like I'm not the only one that messes up or makes mistakes, but I want to show you a few fail videos of people trying to jump over a fence. So watch this. I think that third one gets me where that guy's feet are just up in the snow, kind of like kicking around and he got buried there um, trying to jump off of that. But the reason why I'm talking about this is because today we're looking at a story where the people of God are facing this wall. It's not just a small fence. It's a wall that they're up against to get into the land that God promised them and to take this city called Jericho that where they were first entering into the land. And God does something amazing where the wall comes down simply by them walking around the city. And on the seventh day, they were shouting and God took this wall down. And when we hear that, I mean, that seems pretty unbelievable. Now, maybe you grew up hearing this story, but when you just stop and think about that with your mind of what took place on that day, what the people of God saw, I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. And each of these stories we're looking at in this series called Stories of the Bible They're unbelievable like that. We can't explain them in our own way or in our own ability. God steps in and does something supernatural. But each of these stories are real. They actually took place. They're not just a fairy tale or some made-up story to teach us like a moral lesson. This actually happened where God stepped into our world and did something supernatural. And God, through these stories, is showing us who he is. Or he's challenging us in our relationship with him, And so we're going to look at this story again today. And as we do, I mentioned this last week, but there are three questions that are really good to ask as we start to approach stories in the Bible. And the first is this, what did the audience think when they heard this? So what's happening in that original story and what's taking place and what did this mean to them? What does it mean to us today? So we're living, you know, thousands of years later, what does this mean to us today? And then this third one, how do we apply this to our lives? This is really important because we don't want to just leave these stories with, hey, that's really inspiring, or that makes us feel good, or man, that's kind of unbelievable. We want to ask God, how do we apply this to our lives? What are you going to do today with what it is that God speaks to us and encourages us with? And so today we're looking at this, the walls that fell down by walking and shouting, walls that fell down by walking and shouting. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13. 
And once you have that, go ahead and hold on to that for just a moment, because I want to give us a little bit of context of what's going on here um, in this story. So if you were here last week, we're kind of picking up not too far from where we left off last week with Balaam's talking donkey. It's around the same time where the people of God have come out of slavery in Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years, and they've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years because they did not trust God. And so God says, okay, if you don't trust me, this whole generation is going to pass away and a new generation will come that does trust me. And so they're going to be the ones that enter into the promised land. And so they've been walking around and they start to make their way to Jericho. Now, whenever I was reading this, I kind of needed a visual to get um, the idea of what's going on here. So I think we have a map so you can see what's happening. And that is the people of God are walking up where it says King's Highway. If you can see that on the screen there. Um, King's Highway, and this was a well-traveled area. So it connected Egypt in the south, which was the major kind of world empire at that point, with some of the northern kingdoms, and so they would travel this. The only other way kind of in this region was that other roadway that you see, the Via Maris, there on the other side. And then there was a road that connected those two. Um, Gezer, Gibeon, and Jericho were those cities, and they sat on that roadway. And if you were on the eastern side, on the King's Highway, and wanting to get into the land of Israel, Jericho was only one of the only places you could do that. Because you had the Dead Sea, and then you had this giant mountain range, and it was almost impossible to get into the nation. You had to go through Jericho. And so this is where the people of God find themselves at. And they've just celebrated the 40th Passover. It was this feast of celebrating coming out of slavery and into freedom, and into the land that God was promising them. So they had done that 40 times. They had just celebrated that. They had crossed the Jordan. They had consecrated themselves to make sure they were pure before God as they entered into this land. And now they find themselves sitting on right near the city of Jericho. And I imagine for whatever reason in my mind that it's kind of the evening, and this is where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I want to pause right there in the story. Before we even get to the walls, I imagine Joshua is there on kind of a hilltop looking down at Jericho. Jericho's not that large, but it sits a thousand feet below sea level. It's like one of the lowest cities in the entire world. And, and so it's there, and this is where they're at. And this man approaches, and he sees this individual and he asks them this question are you for us or are you for our enemies like what's going on or are you fighting on our behalf or are you fighting for the city of Jericho he thought it was maybe some soldier some individual but the response is neither I'm the commander of the Lord's army now many scholars believe that this was God himself like this was a representation of Jesus God himself coming and appearing before Joshua and before they even enter the land God reminds them of this, that this is God's world, and he invites us into his story of redeeming it. 
This is God's world, and he is inviting us into his story of redeeming it. Before they even fully get into the promised land, God's reminding them, Joshua, where you are standing right now, it is holy. This is God's presence. This is the God who created everything, who spoke everything into existence, who the Bible tells us the world is the Lord and the fullness thereof. That the glory of God covers every part of the world, that creation itself declares the glory of God. And God is reminding his people, hey, where you're going, my presence is already there. And I'm inviting you into this story of what I'm doing to redeem the world, to show people my love and my example. Joshua, where you are heading, this is my land. I own this. I'm giving it to you as an inheritance so that you would be a steward or a manager of it. But really, this is God's land that they are walking into. He wants to remind his people, you can't treat this land however you want to. You can't do whatever you want to do. Where you're going, this is what I've promised to you, but I am the owner of this. You are called to be my representation where you're standing on. This is holy ground where you're entering in. My presence is already there. Now, I was thinking about this recently. We've had to buy um, new vehicles for two of our older kids. Now, they're not brand new because we don't buy new vehicles, but they're new to us. And so our kids get them, and I'm talking to them. Both of them are in Phoenix, and they're like, Dad, man, I'm washing the car. Like, got the oil changed. I'm taking care of it. Because when you get something new, you really take care of it, don't you? Like, you park further out at the grocery store because you don't want someone dinging their door into your car, right? Like, you don't eat in it. You tell your friends, hey, don't eat in this. But five months go by, and what's going to happen? There's Whataburger bags in the bottom of the floorboard, right? There's sticky stuff in the cup holder. Someone spilled soda, right? You haven't washed it in months. You can't tell what color it really is because it's so, like, we just tend to do that so many times. But if you had a wealthy friend, and recently I was thinking about this, I was in probably the nicest truck I've been in. It was like a $70,000 truck. And someone had given it to a friend of mine, and we were riding in it, and we stopped for ice cream. And I asked them, like, can I even take the ice cream in the truck? Like, do you allow that? Because I didn't want to mess it up. Like, it was brand new. It was so nice. Like, had all of the features. Like, we tend to take care of stuff that's not ours. And God's reminding us, people, this world is mine. It's not yours. Like, this is my, I've created it, and I've given it to you to steward it, but the reason is so that you would show my plan of redemption. You would show what I'm doing. Israel, I have called you as a nation to be a light into the people group that you are going into. He's reminding them, this is his world. This is a new land. So God gives them specific instructions. Some of them sound crazy. He's like, when you get into the new land, after seven years, that seventh year, you can't work the land. Because the land needs rest. Why? Because it's not yours, it's mine. So you got to trust me with this, people, that I'm going to take care of you. But this is my land, and I'm taking care of it, and I'm making sure that it's properly taken care of. So church, how do you view the world around you? The clothes you have on? The apartment or the house that you live in, the car that you drive? It's not yours, it's God's. And he uses everything in our life to show his love and his redemption and the goodness of his character and who he is to the world around us. The world is God's, and he's invited us into his story of redeeming it. That's how we should see it. So students, you walk into that school, and it's holy ground. God's presence is there because you carry God's presence with you. He's invited you into his story 
of redeeming it. Now, I'm not saying go barefoot everywhere that you go, especially if you're like my teenagers because they don't wear clean socks, okay? So don't do that. But what he's saying is, is, hey, everywhere that your foot goes, like my presence is there. It's holy ground. Like I'm there. Adults, when you walk into that workplace, yes, it may be frustrating. Yes, it may be stressful. God's presence is there. It's holy ground. When you're on that soccer field or on that sports field, when you're in the grocery store, wherever you find yourself, this is God's world. He's reminding his people, hey, before you take another step, this is holy ground. My presence is there, and I've invited you into the story that I'm writing. The main characters of this are not Joshua or the people of God or the residents of Jericho. It is Yahweh, God himself, and he's showing us his plan of redeeming and restoring the world that we have broken. He's inviting us into that story of redemption, he's reminding his people, this is my world. So church, we need to stop this week. And I want you to hear this. We need to stop and start saying, God, help me to see this world as yours. That wherever I go, God, your presence is there. And I get to be a part of this story, God, of how you're redeeming people and how you're restoring the world, God, and what you're up to on this earth, God. You've invited me to be a part of that, Lord. So change my mindset, change the way that I view the world, God, to see all of this as yours. That I can trust you, God, that everything that I have is yours, Lord. And so that's where this story starts, and we're not even to the walls yet, that God is beginning to speak to his people and show them who he is. So then if you have your Bible still open, Joshua chapter 6, verse 6, this is what it says. The people of God come near to the gates of Jericho. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred. Because of the Israelites, no one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have priests carrying trumpets and the ram's horn in front of the ark of God. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. So then if you skip down to verse 20, it says this. When the trumpets sounded on that seventh day, And the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Now, when you get to this part of the story, if you're there, this seems really absurd. And God is reminding his people, obedience is better than sacrifice to bring about God's victory. Obedience is better than sacrifice to bring about God's victory. Like this made no sense at all when you stop and think about this. Because I think we may have shown it a moment ago, but we have a picture of the city of Jericho. And so this is a recreation, what archaeologists have discovered. This is the wall. There was an outer wall and there was also an inner wall. But this city is not large. Like the ancient city of Jericho was probably only around like four football fields kind of squared. Because I thought, how long did it actually take them to walk around? Probably not that long. And because the city's not that big and kind of where it was out, it, it was elevated a little bit, but still really low below sea levels. You can see the mountains kind of there in the background. There were only 3,000 residents. Now, that's not fighting men. That's not army. That's not warriors. That is 3,000 people live 
in the city of Jericho, like within the walled areas of the city. About 3,000 people would live there. At last count, the Israelites' army, so not women, children, you know, teenage, not any of that, but fighting men, 600,000. 3,000 residents, 600,000 member army. And in my mind, I think we're probably going to have to sacrifice some guys. Like, I don't know how you decide who that is. But we could easily take the walls, right? Like, we built some ramps. We built some ladders. Like, it's not that hard. We way outnumber them. We could easily destroy this city. And if we win this first victory, like, if people know how strong we are, everyone in the promised land is going to be scared. Like, just think about it. In their own strength, it's probably going to cost us some men. Yes, some, maybe some people will die. But we could easily take the city. And God says, that's not what I want you to do. You're not going to do this in your own strength. You're not going to do this by sacrificing some soldiers. You're going to do this by simply walking and shouting. That's how you're going to win this victory. And they had been ready for this, right? They were wanting to prove to God, God, we can fight. Like, we can win these battles. I know our parents were so scared, God, that they had to wander around for 40 years. But we aren't afraid. We are ready. And God says, no, that's not how you're going to win this battle. See, it's obedience, not sacrifice, that brings about God's victory. And he said, you're just going to kind of stand back. And you're going to do something that seems so absurd. And then you're going to watch me bring about the victory. Just trust me. I've got this one. And no matter how difficult that seemed, no matter how anxious they were on day four, day five, to think, man, I could just take this wall right now. There is more than enough of us around this tiny city. Like, we could easily do this. God says, I'm asking you to obey me. For you to trust me that I can bring about the victory even when it doesn't make sense to you. I was thinking about this because not so long ago um, when we first moved to Texas, we only had four kids at that point, And we had just moved into a small house. Like it wasn't that big. It was barely big enough for us and our four kids. And then we had a college student that moved in with us because we were trying to help her out. And one night we get a phone call and we were young adult pastors at a church, and they said, someone said, hey, I know someone, they weren't even a part of the church, but I know someone, it's a single mom, she has two kids, and she's living in a hotel room, she can't afford to even pay for the hotel room, but her house is not a safe place to be, and so is there anything the church can do, and so Sarah and I sat down, we prayed, we talked, and that night we went and picked her up, and we didn't even know where. We kind of converted part of the living room into their house. And so we just said, hey, you could live with us and we'll help out and we'll take care of you and like we'll help you get back on your feet. And so we did that for a number of months. We were the babysitters. We bought clothes for the kids. We bought food for them. Like we took care of everything so that she could start to get back on her feet. And after we had done this for quite a bit of time, Sarah was praying one day and she felt God say, hey, it's time for this single mom to start to get out on her own. And so Sarah came to me and I was like, Sarah, we can't do that. Like she can't afford this. She's going to feel like we've abandoned her. Like we're the only lifeline that she has. Like we can't do this. And so Sarah went back and prayed because she's amazing. And she said, God, what do I say to Aaron? And God gave her this word. I'm asking for obedience, not sacrifice. I know this is hard for your family. I know you want to do this on your own. I know you think you're helping I'm asking for obedience, not sacrifice. And so Sarah came back to me and she said, hey, Aaron, this is what God said. He wants us to obey him, not to keep making sacrifices. And I thought, that doesn't make sense. Like, we're going to put 
this single mom and these two young kids out on their own. But we sat down and we talked with her. And we just said, hey, we're not trying to shove you out, but this is what we feel like God is doing. And so we just, we want to help. How can we help? Like, how can we help you continue to move forward? And over the next few months, we saw her get a promotion at her job, get in an apartment that was based off of the rent, and it was in a nice place. It wasn't a rundown place. Eventually, she met someone else. She got remarried, like an amazing guy who loves her kids and who does that. And do you know what I realized? None of that would have happened if I would have done that in my own strength. I couldn't have given her a promotion. We could have kept sacrificing, but that's not what God was asking us to do. He was asking us to obey. In church, so many times, we're trying to do this on our own. We're trying to do this in our own strength, and we want to be the hero of the story, and we want to make the sacrifices, and we want to do this. And God's saying, I know it doesn't sound like it makes sense, but just obey me. Trust me, church. Because I know the victory that I'm going to bring about. I know what's going to happen. I can see the future. I can see the walls coming down. I can can do something that you cannot do on your own. You've just got to trust me, even though it sounds absurd. Even though it doesn't make sense in your mind. God is telling them, trust me in this. He's looking for obedience, not sacrifice. And so when the people of God obey, day after day, they're patiently waiting They're walking on the seventh day. They make seven trips around the city and they blow the trumpet. The walls collapse. Now, in my mind, I always thought like they fell over, right? Um, Like that's what happened because when I was little, we'd sing this song in church like Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, 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 and the walls came tumbling down. So that's what I pictured. But when they've uncovered like this part of Jericho, what they've actually discovered is the bricks just turned to dust. Like God disintegrated the walls in a way that no one could explain. Like one moment the people are shouting, looking at this wall, and the next moment they're seeing houses, they're seeing other people in this city, and they went up and they took the city. Like it was something so crazy and so supernatural. It wasn't an earthquake where the walls tumbled down. No, the walls were no longer standing there. They had turned to dust. This week, and I was researching all of this, Two scientists were trying to explain this. Let me give you their explanation. We don't know how this happened. When we're looking, we can see the dust, right, that used to be brick. And so what we're assuming happening is that aliens came and met the people of God and gave them sonic blast weapons that they then pointed at the walls and they used this sonic technology and weaponry from the aliens. And that's how the wall disintegrated because we have no other way to explain this. I don't know what takes more faith, a God who created everything, who did something supernatural, or aliens who traveled for some other place. Like, like it's just crazy because there's no way to explain this, and it doesn't make sense. And God says, you can't do this in your own strength. Obey me. Trust me. I've got this. I'm going to fight on your behalf, and I'm going to bring the victory in a way that you could never even have Imagine this. See, it's obedience, not sacrifice, not your own strength that brings about God's victory in our lives. Let me give you one last thought because the story doesn't end there. And really, this story is more than just an amazing story about walls coming down. This is a story where God's asking his people, can you trust me? Can you trust me? Because when you read this in Joshua chapter 6, verse 24, if you keep on reading, it says that they went up, they burned the whole city, everything in it, 
But they put the silver and gold in the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury in the Lord's house. This was the tabernacle. And Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies into Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced a solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord be anyone who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay down the foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his spread fame throughout or his fame spread throughout the land. Now, I was reading this because I thought, okay, that's the story, right? The walls come down, but that's not the story. God looks at his people, and he says, Jericho is not yours, it's mine. Now, I want you to think how difficult that must have been, because if you ever get a chance to see pictures of Jericho, it's this oasis, this beautiful place like coming out of desert for 40 years you've seen nothing but rock and brown and right waters come from a rock but you've not seen a lot of vegetation and you enter into the promised land that God says he's going to give you and the first thing that you see is this tropical climate like mid-70s all year round you can grow vegetables and fruits and everything that you desire there is grass there for your animals to grow livestock like this is the perfect place to set up and God says don't touch it It's mine. The first of what you have belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. But he says, I'm asking you to honor me and to trust me by giving me the first of what you had. Now, the people of God didn't know what was ahead. And they didn't know if they would win other battles. And they didn't know what other cities they would come on. This had to be extremely difficult to say, God, but we've got something great right here. And you're asking us to give this up, and we don't know what the future's going to look like, and we don't know if there'll be another place like this. And God says, it's mine. you got to trust me that if you give me this, I'll provide the rest. I'll take care of what it is that you need. See, this is more than just the story of walls coming down. This is God saying, I want a relationship with you, but that relationship is built on trust. you got to trust me you got to obey me when it doesn't make sense. You've got to give the first when you don't see how that's possible or it doesn't really make sense in your mind. You've got to trust me that I'm a good God and I'm going to take care of you. And that's why it's difficult every Sunday when we come to a moment of generosity and some of you are like, God, I can't give the first of what I have because I don't know if I'm going to have enough to pay bills or to do any of that. And God is reminding us through this story, Hey, everything that you have is mine. I'm asking you to honor me with the first. Students, you have talents and you have gifts and you're in that amazing age of discovering what your future looks like and God is saying, trust me with your life. The first of what you have, it's not for you. It's not just to build up wealth. It's not so you can gain income. It's not just so you have an amazing career. You've got to trust me with your life, the first of what you have, it belongs to me. Give it to me and see how I provide for the rest. You honor God with all that you have, with your energy, with your time. Like you set aside that time to say, God, I want to give it to you. Why? Because all that I have is yours, God. And so I'm going to trust you that if I start my day, if I start my week, Lord, focus in on you that, God, everything else that follows after that, You're going to take care of, Lord. 
You're going to provide. You're going to show up. God, I can trust you. This had to be so difficult for the people of God to walk into this green oasis and saying, God, we recognize it's not ours, it's yours. And that you're going to take care of everything else. God, you're a good God that provides. This is a story about trust. Church, in your hearts, do you trust him? Do you trust him to obey when it doesn't make sense? Do you trust him to give when you don't know what else you'll have left over? It feels like you're so busy that that time could be used other places. And he's saying, trust me. And I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to ask if you would take a moment and just bow your head and close your eyes. And you may be here and maybe you're trying to do it in your own strength, in your own ability, or maybe you're watching this or you're just scrolling through and you happen upon this video on Facebook, but you feel like God is speaking to you. And I want to ask you, do you trust him? Are you still trying to do it in your own strength? Are you trying to fix your life and become good enough and then come to God because it doesn't work like that? The Bible's very clear that we've all missed the mark. We've all sinned and messed up. And we can't fix ourselves on our own. And God is good enough and faithful enough that he sent his son. Jesus came and died on the cross so that we could be brought, be brought back into a right relationship with God. And if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you feel disconnected from God, if you've never entered into that relationship with God, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to ask that you would pray this with us. And I'm going to invite everyone to say this out loud, even if you're by yourself at home. Let's repeat this out loud because we don't want anyone praying alone. Jesus, I come to you, and I can't fix myself. And I know that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. So I invite you in. Be the savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a brand new start. God, I trust you with my life. I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can we just put our hands together and celebrate for anyone that may have prayed that prayer? And if you prayed that this morning, man, I believe this, that God is doing something new inside of you. And the Bible says that heaven is celebrating and rejoicing with you for that decision that you made. God is with you now, and he wants that relationship with you to walk with you. You can trust him. And we're going to respond one other way this morning. We're going to take communion together. And so if you're here in the room, if you would reach in front of you and just grab these elements. If you're watching online, you may have to step out and... Um, into your kitchen and grab some bread or a cracker and some juice there and, um, and then come back and join with us. Now, I mentioned this in the story, but for 40 years before the people of God got to Jericho and right before they got there, they ate this meal together where they took bread and they took wine and they celebrated the deliverance God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt for 400 years and God was bringing freedom in their life. So when Jesus was here on this earth on the night before he was betrayed, he ate this meal, or on the night that he was betrayed and before he was crucified, he ate this meal with his disciples. And he said, this is now symbolic, not just of the slavery that the people of God came out of, but this is symbolic of the slavery of sin. 
And God is bringing freedom to all of us. And so my body that is being broken and my blood that's going to be shed, like those things are for the forgiveness of your sins. And he's remembering that with his people. And so just hold those elements in your hand. And Matthew 26 says this, that while Jesus was eating, he took the bread and he gave things and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks for it. And he said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is saying, hey, this is taking on a new meaning because my body is now the sacrifice and my blood is being shed for your forgiveness of sins. And every time you come together as the body of Christ and you remember, you're declaring the power that Christ had on the cross to forgive our sins, to renew us, and to give us a brand new life in Christ. And so we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna give thanks. And just hold that in your hand and I'm gonna lead out, but just in your own words, would you give thanks to God? for his forgiveness of your sins, for his body that was broken, what Jesus went through to take our place on the cross. Let's give him thanks and then we'll partake of these elements together. Lord, I say thank you, God. Jesus, you took that meal and you showed us, God, that it was more than just about deliverance from slavery in Egypt, God, more than just a physical thing. But God, you were bringing a new freedom in our life. Jesus, your body was being broken for us that we might know your healing, God, that we might be restored, God, that our sin would be taken off of us and placed upon you. Jesus, you shed your blood and you said, this is a new covenant. I'm doing something new now in this world of restoring and redeeming the world around us, God. And Lord, we say thank you. God, we don't want to forget. Lord, we don't want to ever just kind of pass it over. Lord, help us to be mindful, Lord, to be thankful and appreciative, God, of your great love, of your grace and your sacrifice. God, we as your body, we remember what you did, God, and we say thank you this morning. Church, let's eat and let's drink this together. Can you just put your hands together and celebrate? Let's celebrate together, God, the sacrifice that you made. Lord, we say thank you for that, God. Thank you, Lord.